frankly, if you aren't failing along the way, you're not stretching yourself enough. You know, the goal is really to fail forward. So derive the lesson from the failure and apply that learning to your ongoing efforts and and then keep moving forward. Don't worry about the failure. Don't cry about it and just, you know, what's the lesson and how can I apply it forward? Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor. Today, I'm very excited to have Andrea Foster, the Senior Vice President, Development for Marcus Hotels and Resorts. Andrea, thank you so much for joining us today. Steve, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate appreciate everyone who is uh, taking the time to uh, listen in. Well, fantastic. Well, for our three listeners out there, Andrea, uh, let's get started like we always do. What was your first job in hospitality? How did you get started in this beautiful industry of ours? That's a great question. We're going to go way back uh, because my parents, uh, my dad's a retired investor, developer, serial entrepreneur. My mom is a retired teacher. And when I was about 10 years old, they decided to open an ice cream shop that my mother ran. So from age 11, I worked in an ice cream shop. So um, that was the start of providing customer service. And I absolutely loved it. And uh, so I, I guess that's the actual start. I mean, later on, I started working in hotels and so forth um, after I went to hotel school. But my first time providing service, you know, outside of, you know, the usual babysitting and things, which I think I also started at age 10, was, was uh, scooping ice cream. So what better way to make anyone happy, right? And was it like a name brand or was it your mom's place or what was it? No, it was called the Ice Cream Shop. And so my mother's name is Becky. So I will say in my hometown, which is a small town in, in, you know, Maine, it was, it was called Becky's. It didn't matter. It was called the ice cream shop. Let's go down to Becky's to get some ice cream. So, uh, you know, it was, it was sort of the center of town. I joke that I think today where, you know, you sort of have your social media wall where everybody finds out what's, you know, what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, the ice cream shop was our town social center. You know, that's kind of where you met and gathered and where you found out what was going on in the community. So uh, it, it was it was a really uh, dynamic and fun place to be, especially from age 11 till the time I graduated high school and went off to college. That's so cool. So what do you remember really like, because that's when I remember being in hospitality was when I was like nine, 10, like walking around these cool hotels. What do you remember of that, that experience, like your first day actually like working or doing something in there? Yeah. 
Well, it, first, I I'm from a family that you know it's it's work. It's just work, work, work. Um, you know, I think by the time I got to high school with that job plus some babysitting here and there and two other jobs that I held, I, I mean, and going to school and homework and cheerleading and dancing. I mean, it just it was constant. So we were right. very much a work ethic kind of family. But I do remember there's a specific story from the ice cream shop that I told when I had my in-person interview for the Cornell Hotel School. And um, I, I think, I feel like this, in addition to grades and other things, I'm, I yep. think this, this is a great service story. And I remember you, there was a line outside the ice cream shop. It was the kind that had the counter. You step up to the window and you ordered. And I was at the window. I was taking orders and, and you know, making change. But at the same time, you had a few took orders, sometimes you would just go fill them and the next person would kind of circle around. Whatever was the most efficient was the line that we had. And there was a dad and his young son who I could see stepping up toward the front of the line. And we had, my mom's a teacher, everything from high school English to a private preschool she had at the same time at the ice cream shop. So we had these, um, what would it, like colored paper, like the different colors of, of I mean, construction paper or something right. that we cut scoops of ice cream out so you could see the one scoop was the small and the two scoops were the medium and three scoops were large. And in this particular one, the large had red construction paper, yellow and blue. And this little boy just went, I want red, white and blue. And his dad's like, you can only have one scoop. You have to pick. And I can see this escalating as you're, you know, as they're moving up the line. Mm-hmm. And um, by the time we got to the front, this this young boy was about to just melt down right there on the floor because he just wanted red, white, and blue. And his dad was like, you can only have one scoop. And I just said, I've got this. I'll take care of it. And the dad's like, but he can only have one scoop. And I said, trust me, I got this. You're, you're both going to be happy. It's pretty easy to take a scoop if you know how to like round the scoop and do strawberry, vanilla, and we have like a blueberry cream that was blue. And so the next thing you know, I had a striped, you know, red, white, blue, cone of ice cream that I gave to the kid and his eyes were like saucers. He was just so excited. And the dad is so much. I mean, you know, we're avoiding the meltdown. And it was a proud moment at that point when I just thought there's a way to figure out what people need and to, you know, meet those needs to deliver service in a creative way. Because, you know, sometimes we just have to think of alternative ways to deliver that in order to make everybody happy. And, you know, so that was kind of my first, um, you know, the first memory I have of just being so happy when I, you know, went home that night, just think, you know, I did that. I made everyone happy. And, you know, that was just, I think, part of what. Yeah, I, I love that. Industry. It's it's part of the addiction of hospitality where you get those little dopamine hits of uh, taking care of people. Yeah, there's uh, nothing way. better. Yeah, There's nothing you, better. <laughs> Andrea, the ice cream artist at Becky's. I like it, you know, <laughs> so it's so you sounds like you really enjoyed hospitality because you went to school for it. Like you actually said, this is what I want to do. And you went to one of the top schools in the country and you went to Cornell. So was that something you talked about with your family? Like, this is what I really love doing, or did you kind of stumble into it? How did that happen? Another great question. So I realize I I say this and not everybody finds their career path when they're 14. It it takes longer for some and it's always okay. Um, However long it takes for you to find, you know, what you love and what that, you know, and, and you can change along the way. I found it 14. I went to a business dinner with my dad. He was president of the board for a Marriott ownership resort group. And uh, he had a meeting in Florida and he said, grab your homework. Like, come with me. You know, you know, uh, three days in Florida. So I said, sure, absolutely. 
So he took me to this business dinner and uh, the woman who ran the resort uh, complex, she she was a rock star and she brought another woman with her, where I assume was, you know, her vice president or something. So but these are the two women in charge and they were preparing for the board meeting the next day and talking about all sorts of you know items that were going to be on the agenda. And I really think I said, hello, goodbye, and nice to meet you. Or so that was it. I just sat and listened. And I truly don't know what she said. I couldn't articulate when she was done what she did at 14. But I was riveted by every, just the way she delivered, you know, everything that she knew, which confidently. And just by the way that my dad listened to her, because my dad listens to smart people who articulate well. And I just thought, wow, I want to be her. And so when we left dinner, I said to my dad, I want to do what Cindy does. That's what I want to do. And he's like, really? And, you know, it, then we connected on it further. I ended up interning for her before my first year at Cornell. And it was actually her. She was the one who said, you know, I'd suggest you look at Cornell. You know, it's a stellar hotel school. And, and you know, if you want to go into this industry, you should take a look at the school. So I credit her for inspiring me you know, to go into this industry and for suggesting that I apply to Cornell. And once I learned about Cornell and what it is, it was my plan A and I call it plan Andrea. Like there's no plan B. It's like, this is where I'm going. I think my mother said, are you applying anywhere else? And I said, no, I'm going to Cornell. And she's like, maybe you want to apply somewhere else just in case you don't get in. And I was like, I don't understand the question. I'm, I'm yeah. going there. Like, they might not know it yet, but that's right. So luckily it all worked out because that really was the plan. And, that's awesome. And I ran after him. So that's great. So Cindy was the one who kind of guided you that way. And what was Cindy's role at that time? She she was the overseeing all of the Marianne Ownership Resort, you know, in this Everything. particular property. It was called Stable Palms um, oh, yeah. in uh, Florida. And then later went on to run all of the Marriott Ownership Resorts, which that's what it was called. Mori, Marriott Vacation Club International, I think it is now. And she went on to run all the ones on Hillside Island. And and she was the managing director over all of that. And uh, that's where I interned for her was uh, in Hilton Head. Amazing. A great, a great first mentor to have getting yes. in there. Fantastic. So now you're in Cornell. You're studying. Are you working while you're studying? Or are you studying, studying while you're there? The first semester, I found the jobs in the hotel school were, were reserved for people who were, you know, there was something where you um, were hired if you were on a certain loan program. And so you were working to help pay that back. So it was hard to get into something, you know, on campus, or at least in the hotel school, my freshman year. But sophomore year, right after my freshman year, I got a job for the summer at the front desk, which is perfect. You're willing to stay for the summer and then you could keep your job all the way through. So I started at the end of my freshman year, stayed in Ithaca for the summer and then kept that role and worked 28 hours a week all the way through, you know, until actually a few days after graduation, I even stayed on and worked through graduation and all of that, which is phenomenal. So that was my first front desk experience, you know, working in a hotel was at the Statler Hotel on the Cornell campus. And that was a great experience. I love to hear it. So Cornell being one of the best, everyone recruits out of there. So what, did you have a job when you left school? Did you know where you were going? Or did you say, I want to find a city and live in? How did you choose that first role? That's a great question. There were limitations as to where I wanted to go. I am so blessed to have grown up where I did, you know, and the family and surroundings and everything that I did in, you know, a small town in Maine. But I really wanted to be elsewhere. I wanted to go somewhere else in the country. I wanted to move around and, you know, see different 
locations. And I certainly was drawn to kind of the East Coast um, resort areas. So there you know, were some options for me that I chose between when I left, but I ended up taking a job as a desk manager in Annapolis, uh, Maryland. And it was then the Marriott Waterfront Hotel, Annapolis Marriott Waterfront, which is now an autograph hotel. And I started there and it was actually interesting. It was a brief period. Um, I was there for about three months because I got hired out and the next most exciting place I was interested in going was I had spent the prior summer before my senior year of college at a private club and hotel in San Francisco called the Marines Memorial Club and Hotel. And it's actually a private military club for Marines who died in the Pacific during World War II and is open to all branches of service. I have no military you know, connections in my immediate family, some extended, you know, some of my cousins and, and family uh, are military, but I was just fascinated by this. And because I had interned before through a connection from my best friend from college, whose dad was a colonel in the Marine Corps and retired, passed away. Uh, but that was the connection that I had to it. And the president's CEO called me up one day and said, uh, I'm looking for a room. He called it a hotel manager, but it was a rooms division manager. And he goes, I know you're not technically qualified at age 22 <laughs> to do this job, but you were my intern last summer and I know you can do it. So he said, do you want the job or not? I mean, very direct man. And so I remember kind Thank you so much for calling. It's wonderful to hear from you. I'm actually standing at the front desk right now and I need to check a few people in. Can I call you tomorrow on my day off? Like, oh. And so we had a conversation and I just, I was so excited about going back to California where I ended up being for about 10 years and loved the property, loved the people. Um, you know, it, it really just held a special place in my heart. And then I loved the idea that, you know, he, he did start by saying at, at 22, you're not qualified. But I know you can do this job. And I've just found that when people have confidence in you and they know that you can do whatever it is, you know, every CEO is CEO for the first time at some point in their life. And so you can't always have all the experience necessary to step into a job. Sometimes you have to say, look, here's why I can do this job, because I achieved this, this and this. And these are the qualities, you know that I have and my skills and talents and give me a chance. And that was what he saw before I even had to ask for that. So, um, you know, I will always be grateful to him um, for just, you know, seeing that and, and saying, just come step into this hole. Let's see what you can do. And I was there for four years and it was a great, great time in my, in my life and my career. So I love this part of people's stories where they first start leading people. Like you did it for a couple of months at one place, but then this is really where you are managing people probably much older than you at all different backgrounds. Yeah. How did you feel um, really on that kind of first day, first week in there? Because it can be overwhelming, especially if you haven't done it. It was absolutely over. Yes, it certainly was. And I, I somewhat recognized at the time, but at 22 years old, I mean, you don't have the same life wisdom that you have today. Um, so reflecting on it, I understand you know, that having your former intern come back as your boss, right? you know, and, and so the front office manager, the reservations manager and the housekeeping manager reported to me and I oversaw all the front desk departments as well as reservations, housekeeping front desk, as I said, but bell stands, security and so forth. And that, that's a lot, you know, for them to think, okay, so, you know, this, this recent Cornell grad is going to come at, you know, who was my intern last year. So I remember the conversations that I sat down and had with them and said, look, we worked together last year. 
you know, we, we had a great time working together. I'm not here to boss you around. That's not what, you know, why, I, why I've come back. And I want to learn from you and we want to find ways that we can improve upon what we're doing, you know, here for the benefit of our members and our guests and for the benefit of our associates. You know, there are ways that we can make things easier. And a lot of what I did, I mean, it was creating service standards. It was creating employee recognition programs. I installed a lock system first because it brass keys. And I started oh, working so it oh, lock oh. system, mm-hmm. property management system, point of sale system, renovated, you know, all of the guest rooms. And, and so there was, you know, all of these things that we did, you know, over a period of those four years that improved the experience for everyone. And that was the whole goal. And it's, you know, so I came and saying, this is for us to do together. You know, we're, we're resources and we're a team and we're doing this, but I'm not coming in here to, to make things more complicated. You know, I want to make things easier. I want to make things better. And that's what we're here to do together. And so I, I think it was a very successful experience. I was actually just back at the property within the last year, stayed there. And I love going back. And it's the only hotel I think you check into, you know, that I've checked into where I get, you know, a dozen hugs. That's awesome. Because so many people are still there. And that makes me really, really happy to see that, you know, people have stayed for so long because they just, you know, enjoy the people and the experience and the members and the guests. So yeah, I'm sure they're so proud of you seeing what you're doing in your career now. It's it's especially when you get to go back and see people from the beginning of your career. And I love doing well, that. Well, thank you. You're kind to say that, but it's just I love seeing people having made a career. You know, and, and I'll actually, I can tell a story. One of the young women who I saw within the last year, when I was back within the last year, she is a, a server and a supervisor in the lounge. And she said, so I, I first saw her when she walked in for work and I, you know, called her name out in the lock and she turned it. Oh my goodness. You know, we gave, you know, we gave each other hugs and, and, um, so later when I was upstairs, you know, in the lounge. She said, I remember when you hired me, when you took my picture, because we put pictures up in the back, you know, yep. uh, you know, associate hallway. So, you know, welcoming, you know, here's, here's a new hire and a little bit about them. And so I, I love that. And she then tells me, you know, um, she's not from here. She's from the Philippines. She, you know, came over and became a citizen. At some, I don't remember when, but, you know, really excited about that. And her son, who she had, while I was there, you know, she, she and her husband were pregnant, had a child, is now going to Stanford to be a doctor. And like, and I'm like, you did that. You, like, I'm so proud of you. And I can't believe that, like, this is just awesome. So it's great to see that this is an industry where people can make careers. They can raise families and do whatever it is that's, you know, important in their lives. And you don't need to have a medical engineering degree or something to, to create a successful career in this industry. Um, you know, whatever it is that you want in the industry, you can work and get there. And there are so many examples of that. There are CEOs who started as dishwashers in our industry. And I, we were excited about that because it's, you know, it is a, a dream that you can create within hospitality. We've had so many general managers, actually, I can count four that started as dishwashers. And they're like running multi, you know, hundred million dollar hotels. And it's where everyone starts. That's what I love about this industry. You can go anywhere. I couldn't agree more. It's awesome. But so you were doing really well there. You're making it more modern. You're thriving there. You're growing as a leader. And then you pivot a little bit. Yeah. um, Yeah. Uh, Let's see. So four years um, later, I actually say, you know, I sort of worked myself out of a job. I mean, this, it's such a great place. I went in to do various projects and things. 
And once those, the projects were done, you know, it, it obviously continued to operate and so forth and under an amazing team, but we kind of put everything in place and, and I was ready to go into the next thing that, you know, the next project. Um, I briefly stepped into hotel technology. It was around 2000, um, where technology was kind of a big thing, learned some great things and just realized it wasn't for me. And so a step sometimes outside, you know, again, stepping out of your comfort zone, trying something new. It's a great thing to do, especially early on in your career. I mean, still keep getting out of your comfort zone always for the rest of your life. But I really believe, you know, the 20s are for just, does this fit? Does this fit? You know, try on different things. And for me, technology, you know, it gave me an even greater respect for everyone in technology. But I found I'm better to support technology from the outside rather than being in technology specifically. So I, I pivoted into it and then I pivoted out of it. So the next step for me after that was uh, PKF Consulting. So, and that was kind of part of my vision and plan when I was in the hotel school to begin with. Um, the hotel school at the time had concentrations and I concentrated in operations and real estate finance knowing that at some point I wanted to end up in development where I am today and consulting along the way, that all of that was some kind of a goal for me. You know, I, I wanted to end up there, but I knew that operations and understanding operations from the inside was incredibly important to bolstering my future in, in consulting and development. So I stepped into a role. I was a VP in LA office of consulting for about four years, doing market studies, utility studies, appraisals, operational analysis and all sorts of things, you know, the things that PCAP does, um, and or, which is now CBRE Hotels. And absolutely love that. It was great to go from being at a property, you know, where you're kind of five feet off the ground and you're in the property and you're benchmarking against the market and, and the industry and so forth, but you're really focused on your your property to kind of the 50,000 feet, you know, raising up and, and seeing a market as a whole and understanding the dynamics of that and knowing all the data of all the different properties that confidentially were, were provided and being able to understand what properties were competing which and how and where they were ranking and that was really you know exciting for me to really dig into that data that analysis so that was kind of when i stepped into the consulting and so when you're consulting it's very different being consultant versus being on the in the property uh how did were you in the hotels helping consult or were you more in the office and doing meetings or were you at the properties talking to the leadership teams there so as part of an assignment you did go into properties and you did um your meeting with the property you were doing whenever the you know the study for um, the appraisal or the feasibility study but then you needed to canvas the comp set so competitive set and uh, meet with the gms your direct sales understand the dynamics of their business you know they're sharing it with a consultant who's not sharing it with our client in individual detail, we would take the information, aggregate it, and then we would share, you know, for those who gave us information, we would share an aggregated table of performance as well. So they were getting something out of, you know, doing something to help us also. Um, and, you know, PKF and CBRE is great reputation in the industry too, of just the dialogue of, of my knowledge that we're able to have. So, you know, yes, I was in the properties when I was on field work. And then I was in the office doing the analysis, writing reports. And, and later I was, you know, evaluating, editing, reviewing reports that the consultants and associates who worked, you know, for us were doing, you know, as I elevated yep. that role. And as you were so, in the consulting role, I know sometimes hotels aren't very nice to the consultants coming through. Were did that ever the case for you? Or did you find everyone was very respectful and, and people? Yeah. Yep. It, well, I can, and I certainly understood that because I came from the operation side. So your, your question is a great one. 
in this is a, you know why I tell younger individuals who are rising up through the industry or going to school for hospitality is you need to spend some time in operations because you know even if you want to go into you know the analyst side and on the investment side you need to under- understand how hotels work and how the P&L is crafted i mean not crafted in a spreadsheet but actually like how does that revenue come in where does it come from how is it generated what's the process how do you know are the ex- expenses spent, you know, where, where are the costs and how can they be saved and where are the, the checks and balances that you, you need to understand all those things. So I think that I always had them in the back of my mind because I went into consulting when I was, I think, 28. So it wasn't, you know, 22 out of school right. was, you know, with a little bit of um, experience in the industry and understanding. Sometimes when people from outside come in and tell you what to do, you're not very excited about it. You're like, I know this property and I know my role. So, you know, I, I would go in with just an approach of saying, you know, I want to learn from you. I'm here to provide some suggestions and ideas based on the information I gather and a little bit of a partnership in that process that always helps. That's true. And you got to learn a lot from a lot of different places and a lot of different leaders. So that's always really cool to see. And then I love this transition that you make. So you're in there, you're doing well. Why did you get back into hotel, but at corporate level, right? So you get into the, it's into Miraval Resorts. How did that happen? Yes. So um, let's see, when I was at PKF, um, I I have some part, some people, you know, kind of look at my background and they, you know, I'm a a wellness expert. Well, yes and no. So yes, on the data side and the performance side, I've never run one. I've never been on that on the inside operations. And so that's a whole other skill set that I have such a great respect for. But what I did was, you know, when we were, when I was at PKF, goodness, the dates were uh, 2002 to 2006 was when yep. I was with PKF in LA. Sometime around 2004, I, I, give or take, people started getting interested in spas. And all of a sudden, we're doing feasibility studies for these properties. And it's like, and we'll have a spa, and we'll have a spa, and, and we'll put a spa over here. And well, okay, first the question was, how many square feet should a spa be? What kind of revenue should a spa do? I mean, I was doing the feasibility state, you know, studies that indicated what the revenues and expenses should be. They, you know, they were being benchmarked to determine what their ROI or IRR on investment should be mm-hmm. for these developments. And it was always important to me, I'm very detailed, to get into the specificity around what is a reasonable revenue, what's a reasonable expense basis, and why? What's the benchmark around that? So PKF, and again, now CBRE, has a huge database of P&L statements from hotels across the country. And so I dug into those and I pulled a subset that had spas. I looked at the size and the revenues, a revenue for occupied room. And, re- and so I, I started digging down. And with the incredible support of my then boss, Bruce Bolton, who just said, yeah, if you're curious about something, just go look at it, you know, go analyze the data. And so I did that for some of these feasibility studies. And then I realized that there had been and very few articles. I mean, the last one that had been published on any data relating to spa performance in hotels, I was always about hotel spas, was the data point was a previous PKF uh, colleague, um, so who had published for, you know, a handful of years before. And I just went out and I was like, there's no information on this. So, you know, with Bruce's support, I said, let me, you know, analyze this data and let me put out an article that talks about the performance. Well, next thing you know, getting calls and, and, you know, I was digging down into the, the performance and, you know, the, uh, the metrics around hotel spas. And then we put out a trends in the hotel spa industry report. So all these things grew simply from 
a curiosity that I had and a need because we had feasibility studies that were inquiries, you know, assignments that were coming through that included that. And I wanted to make sure we were doing as thorough an analysis for that as we did both the average and meeting space and the rooms analysis and everything else that we did as part of, you know, the PL uniform system of accounts for hotels. So that's where it started. And then because of that recognition around the hotel spa, you know, and analytics, Miraval came calling and they were looking for, I can't remember what my, I went through a few titles there, but yeah. um, yeah. out of corporate strategy, business development to marketing. And so I was hired and it, and there it was, you know, fascinating. I loved the different type of property and experience that Miraval was at the time and still is today and being able to take my hotel background and interpret an all-conclusive resort experience to the hotel industry and to the investor, you know, base within the hotel industry. He was saying, well, but it's all-inclusive. I mean, how do you determine an ADR? It's just arbitrary. I'd say, well, okay, in some ways, you know, because it's derived from a total revenue, from the total rate, I said, but let's compare total revenue per occupied room for Miraval and for other properties and resorts. That's a real number. Like mm -hmm. the total revenue is not a made up number. And they're going, oh, that, you know, that, that makes sense. So I was able to use, you know, my experience at PKF again to articulate that and to help that be more understood on the hotel investor side. So that's amazing. That so really, if you weren't curious and you just weren't a go-getter and you never put out that article, this may it, never have happened, right? Well, I think in Steve Jobs' book, we, which I read way back, um, I remember he said, it's hard to connect the dots forward, but you can always connect them backwards. And when he talks about, what was it, the, um, when Apple's, when the first, I think it was the IMAX came out, they had a different typewriter style, they had different fonts. And that has changed everything about all of our Word documents, whether you're Apple or Mac. I mean, it no longer looked like a typewriter spacing and, and that kind of font. And he said, it's all because I took a calligraphy class in college. And so, you know, it's interesting when you think back to the choices you make and the decisions you make throughout your career and your life. You don't necessarily know at the time the incredible impact they will have in the future, but you can kind of look back and go, that was the moment I decided to do this and look what came from it. So it's, it, it is fascinating to look back. That is amazing. You know, I, I'm going to remember that part of your story, especially as I'm creating podcasts and newsletters and all this fun stuff now, dipping my toe in new things. It's amazing to see who I get to talk to like you today. Yeah. Right. That's amazing. And who's and who's going to watch and see, you know, the stories that you are sharing and you are making available. And what's going to spark something in someone else? Because someone else is going to see something in someone, something in you and something in what you're sharing. And that's going to make a difference for them. So there's always, someone's always watching. Whether you're, whether you're publishing and you're putting podcasts out or whether you're just living your life, someone is always watching and taking away something from what every one of us, you know, on this, on this earth is doing. Oh, I love it. And then, listen, I want to get back to your journey. So you're, you're at the mirror of all, you're there a long time, five, almost five years, five years. Yeah. You know, and how was that experience for you working there? Yeah, it was phenomenal. I still absolutely love the brand, love the experience and, um, really proud of the things that we did there, but it was a challenging time. I started, things were going quite well in the economy, but things changed. You know, I started in, in 2006. We put some deals together and then we had a, um, then the great recession hit. And so I remember, you know, the days when that was happening and just, oh my goodness, with, with the change of everything in the macro environment, these deals aren't going to work anymore. So we had to unravel some things there. 
And that's when my boss at the time said, I'm going to separate the sales and marketing role and I want you to run marketing. And I went, oh my goodness. I said, okay, I've always done market positioning, market analysis. I mean, I understand that, but it'd be actually running marketing, running a marketing team. I mean, that was new to me. And he said, I have faith that you can do it. Let's work together and do this. So, you know, back to, you have to stretch. It was a learning experience. I can't even begin to count the number of hours I worked and the days that we, I mean, it was, I was very much immersed in that role um, because I just felt like I had so much to learn and so much to catch up on. And I had a stellar staff, you know, that worked for me. They were absolutely awesome. And um, it was a power, power woman group that we had, um, four of us. And uh, so, you know, that was really great. I really enjoyed that experience and working with all of them throughout that. And then it just, it got to a point where you reach a certain step and go, okay, I'm, I'm running marketing for two years. It wasn't what my plan was, you know, more in the consulting, the development side of things. And um, so, you know, at one point I was very proud of where we had ended up and it was just the time to move on. And that's when PKF, again, the place I'd left before, um, I was at one of the industry conferences and Mark Woodward, you know, who um, ran the research um, aspect for PKF and then for CBRE for many, many years, um, came up to me and said, we need someone to run private sector business. There was a gentleman who was running the public sector side and actually doing some things for the government and so forth relating to lodging, et cetera, um, in Boston, but needed someone to really drive the private sector side. And so he said, and, and he said uh, basically something along the lines of tag, you're it. <laughs> so, um, you know, fly out, beat him, see what you think. So, you know, flew out, awesome, great, moved to Boston, which was fantastic to rejoin the PKF team. I mean, you know, just such a stellar group, always was. Um, and I so enjoyed being there. I mean, I, as you can probably tell in everything I'm sharing, I've worked with amazing people and yes. had stellar bosses and colleagues, like just, so I'm really blessed. And I think part of it is, you know, just listening to your gut. And I just, life is too short to work with people you don't enjoy working with. So I've stayed in places where I just really love the people and love our mission, you know, and so forth. And uh, so that was a great, you know, return, you know, well, return. It was a return to New England. First time I'd lived in Boston, but my whole family is in Maine. Mm-hmm. So I actually think at one, you know, at some point, I think they may have thought I moved back to be closer to them. But I was like, I, I moved back for the job, but it's totally awesome and a bonus that I'm here. You know, I got to spend a lot of time with family in Maine during that time. So I really you know, cherish that in addition to the uh, to the experience, you know, career experience. Yeah, it's a special time. And, and and that role is managing director now because you were, you know, you grew within the company. What is that like in that company? What is like a, a normal day? Don't have to give me the whole thing, but what is your day to day doing it? So a normal day to day. So I would say a divided up, maybe three ways, you know, basically there's selling aspect. I mean, you are out networking, building relationships with the developers, the owners, the lenders, you know, all that, the brands and everything in the community to, um, you know, basically ensure that they know this is what we do and here's how you know we can help you uh, because the banks are going to hire you to do appraisals the developers the owners are going to hire you to do you know a feasibility study or we're looking at renovating and where do you think that these renovation dollars will put us positioning wise on what the return on investment etc um cvbs uh you know development authorities i mean you know we did a lot of work for you know, a number of different entities so part of it's selling then the next part is executing so it's managing the team and, um, you know, assign, you know, giving out the assignments, the direction, here's the scope, here's how we're approaching this, and then work 
the process with, you know, I had, I've had some stellar, again, people who worked for me um, over that course of time and, you know, developing them through the process. Very excited that they are all doing pretty incredible things in the industry now. So I love to see how they've developed in their careers too. And then the third part is, you know, there's an admin, there's a, you know, the typical managing a team, managing a P&L, human resources thing that, you know, any leader is doing. So it's really divided up into those three. So any given day, I could be out on field work, you know, taking a look at a property with one of my, you know, associates. I could be out, you know, talking with clients, potential clients, and or just managing any any part of that process. So that's kind of a typical day. Oh, that's awesome. And so you're doing it well. Again, another almost five year span in that managing director role. And then Marcus Hotels and Resorts, do they come calling or do you go looking? How does that happen? So they came calling. So um, it's kind of interesting. I, I have very few times in my career been out looking for my next job. I mean, you know, th- there are points that I have, but it's it, that's not the majority. The majority is who you know and who knows you. That's that's important. You can have a whole list of people you know, but if you're not top of mind for them, it's it's not going to be you know, beneficial a a network. Um, and so my current colleague, um, Bill Reynolds, um, has been with Marcus for ten years, and I knew him. I met him via my former boss in Los Angeles at PCAP, Bruce Bolton. They're longtime friends. So I initially had met him then. We stayed in touch, and and then when he was in Boston, he would always let me know, you know, if he was coming to town for any reason. Hey, do you have time for a cup of coffee or, you know, a, a glass of wine? Let's chit chat. And so we get together, we talk about the company, what he was, you know, they're working on. We talk about whatever market that he was, you know, focusing on and just, you know, some good industry conversation, you know, and so forth. And over the process, you know, we're getting to know each other a bit more too. So he reached out, they, um, you know, Marcus was looking for an SVP of development. And he said, look, I know you're happy, like where you are. So I'm not sure if this is, you know, something you'd want or not, but, you know, I know you know people just like I do. So keep this in mind. And I remember reaching out to him saying, actually, I, you know, yes, I am happy. You know, no question there, but my gut tells me I really need to talk to you about this. He came out of retirement to join the company and that wow. said something to me and has been there 10 years. And so I said, you know, I, I think we need to have this conversation. And then after that, it was also just, I, I really thought about it and went, you know, he is so connected and so knowledgeable. And I, I kind of have always wanted to work with him like this. You know, I know that it would be an incredible experience to learn from his, his experience, his connections and, and just everything he knows and kind of be a sponge um, in addition to doing some great things together. And so I said, I'll throw my hat in the ring. And I remember he said, so, you know, you need to move to Milwaukee. And I said, no problem. Absolutely. <laughs> And I, I told him the story later. I said, at that same time, I was on Google Maps figuring out where in the world Milwaukee was because <laughs> I had been to Chicago like once in my life. I mean, I, yeah. I knew nothing about the Midwest. So I looked and I was like, okay, I knew it was upper middle, but I didn't really know other than that. I was like, oh, Lake Michigan, it's north of Chicago. Oh, absolutely. I knew nothing, anything more about it at all. And so when I went to visit, you know, a couple of times for you know series of interviews, you know, and I just visited the city coming in with just a, you know, very neutral no expectations. I thought this is really a great, a great city. So I've enjoyed in my career moving around to a lot of different, um, you know, markets, cities, your areas. And that's been very enriching in my life is to, you know, really know, not just from visiting, being there for field work and so forth, but actually spending time living in various cities has helped me grow as a person too. So I uh, absolutely love 
Milwaukee loved the company and I lived in Milwaukee for five and a half years. And then when COVID turned, um, I ended up relocating just over a year ago to be remote. My personal life and my significant other, he lives in the DC area. And now you know, we're able to live together. It's important to be with your family, whoever your family is. So where I'm able to do my job remotely, which is you know, very much a blessing and a, and a gift um, to be able to do that in, in my role. It would be different if I were a general manager of a hotel. I fully understand that. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't work. Unless it was there, then you'd be all right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so what is the the role like now? So now you're vice president of development for for this hotel group. What is your day like? Yeah. So um. So let's see. My it it, it this is of course always the answer. The day varies, but yeah. my my focus is um searching for acquisition opportunities, which can include and, and often do include joint venture investments with capital partners and third party management opportunities for our company. Um, we have seventeen hotels. The company has been around for, let's see, 82 years now. We have owned, and we started as a movie theater company. Um, we have 90 movie theaters across uh, 11, with 1,100 screens across 11 states. And we have 17 hotels in nine states and over 5,000 rooms, mostly full service, some branded, some independent. And so I'm looking mostly at, you know, full service hotels, a lot of lifestyle independent hotels or soft branded typically um, for acquisition opportunities for third party were a little more broad, you know, and include uh, branded properties as well in that and those opportunities. So it's, it's working the relationships, finding the opportunities, and then determining what opportunities to pursue that really fit perfect, you know, really well into our portfolio and um, pursuing acquisitions. So there is um, a process that we're underwriting. I mean, you're, we're, we're constantly underwriting deals. I think an email yesterday discussing four different deals that we're looking at. And, you know, there's always the discussion of, okay, where are the capital markets right now? It's challenging. Seller expectations are very high relative to pricing. Um, it's hard to get there. You know, which ones do we think are where we really have a competitive advantage to go after these deals? So a lot of my desk time, you know, when I'm sitting here in a, in a home office is, you know, underwriting deals, communicating on deals, pulling together information on markets, competitive and so forth. And then occasionally I get to do things like this today, which is wonderful. And um, then there are days that I'm traveling, you know, where I'm out in a market, I'm touring a property, I'm touring the entire market concept. Um, and, you know, those days are not typically planned all that far in advance. You know, when a deal becomes available, you, you shuffle your schedule around, you, you know, make a plane flight reservation, then, you know, you go. And so, um, you know, that's, those are kind of the days. So, uh, you know, sometimes they're planned out and sometimes they're spontaneous and I wouldn't have it any other way. Sounds like a fun day. Now, as you're looking around, are there any, and I can't give you too many details, but any hot markets or wish list markets that you would want to be in personally? Like that's where we need another hotel. So, yeah. So, um, there are, I'm not going to go into actually too much detail around that, what the ones that we're looking for, but, you know, we simply look for markets that are active with people moving in and wanting to be, you know, in the market. We typically kind of, I don't want to say we focus only on, but we, we perform really well in these secondary markets and they're often overlooked by some of the larger investors. And I don't say they're, I don't think they're overlooked by, you know, larger management companies, but Sometimes investors aren't necessarily looking at some of the uh, secondary and tertiary markets, but certainly we are um, interested in. We said the you know the lifestyle hotels and soft branded you know hotels, so the lifestyle independent 
stop branded, all of that. And those are in certain markets and not in others. So it's typically, you know, city center or dense developments. They don't have to be CBDs. You know, they can be, you know, outside of CBDs. I call it hub and spoke. And so um, there are a number of those, you know, where where we are looking and uh, very interested in, in properties and opportunities with it. So I'll, I'll it. leave it there. That's perfect. Perfect for us. So now, Andrea, you've been all over the country. You've been in great jobs. But if you're going back to Andrea, the ice cream artist at Becky's, <laughs> and she's about to head off to Cornell, right? You don't know her. What advice would you give her if she was starting out in hospitality today? I love it. The ice cream artist. All right. This is yes. Yes, you that's clearly have a marketing expertise. That's fantastic. I love it. Um, and I'm going to call my mother and I'm going to tell her that, you know, the ice cream artist at Becky. Um, she'll love it. So kind of, so what would I tell my, my younger self? Um, so many things. But so first I would say, step outside your comfort zone. Don't be afraid to fail. I suspect that this story will resonate with some, but my younger self would step into a learning experience and be excited about it, but also have anxiety about not already knowing or understanding the material I was learning. And I say that, and I hear myself say it, and it is the most ridiculous thing you could ever articulate. You know, like, why would you be expected to know what you don't know? Mm -hmm. And as, you know, a a wiser, you know, I, I will never know anything, but as a wiser person, I fully recognize that I don't know what I don't know. What I know is a little bit, and then there's what I don't know, and then there's what I don't know that I don't know. And I would just tell myself, relax, step outside your comfort zone, learn some good things, and stop being worried about the grade. Stop being worried about whether I'm learning it as quickly as my peers. Some people pick things up faster than others, and sometimes it's very often it's specific things. There are certain things that I grab like this, and other things I have to go, let me think through that. And that's the case with all of us as learners. And so I would say to my younger self, learn for the sake of learning, expand your reach for the sake of growing. And frankly, if you aren't failing along the way, you're not stretching yourself enough. You know, the goal is really to fail forward. So derive the lesson from the failure and apply that learning to your ongoing efforts and and then keep moving forward. Don't worry about the failure. Don't cry about it and just, you know, what's the lesson and how can I apply it forward and, and you know, keep learning. Wow. Well, I think that's, that's a great advice and a great place to end our conversation. So Andrea, if somebody wants to connect with you, which is the best place for them to do that? I would say LinkedIn is great. So just send me a note, um, an invitation, an invitation with a note is a little bit more, um, you know, I pay more attention to those than invitations without personalized notes. So um, I would welcome invitations there. Actually, a great tip. And Andrea, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. It was awesome to talk to you. And again, just very grateful spending your time with us. Goodness, well, Steve, thank you so much. Wonderful to have the invitation to be here with you. Thank you so much for the time. And I appreciate everyone who's uh, tuning in because you're giving of your time to share with us too. So thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. 
drink good coffee, and create a good outcome. This podcast is a Hospitality.fm production.